Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. When I started my podcast about half a year ago, I asked a couple of uh, potential listeners what format they would like. First of all, what the optimal length of an episode is. It turned out it's uh, about uh, 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm trying to limit my podcast to 30, 35 minutes. And so we're having the first episode today of a longer podcast. The second episode then on the same will be next week. So uh, it's about the industrial revolutions that we have. Uh, we had four of them. And uh, that's the nature of things. This first episode deals with the industrial revolution number one and number two. Next week then number three and number four. The Industrial Revolution happened in basically four different steps, called the first, the second, the third and the fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, sometimes Industry 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. 0. What I will do in this podcast episode is run through the time, uh, have a look at all the different phases, the different revolution, the industrial revolutions we had, and analyze how the relationship between human and machine has changed over time. In the beginning, a quick definition phase If we talk about the relationship between humans and machines, we should have a short look at what a machine is, what the, the definition of a machine is. There are basically two of them. One is the more academic definition. So a machine is a mechanical or electronic construct, an artifact, that is used to complete tasks. We are in situation A and want to be in situation B. And to go from A to B, we need some kind of mechanical or electronic device that helps us to complete this task And this is not only a, let's say, spatial move from A to B. It can also be a mental or a financial or whatever uh, A and B that we have and we want to move 
from A to B, we can we can uh, use machines in that. This is the, the more academic definition. So the um, popular definition of a machine is just like a steam engine, like a machine tool, like a robot, like um, production construction machines, or maybe even a, a motorbike. So the... Uh, there is a uh, commercial of Harley Davidson saying, the machine you sit on tells the world where you stand. So this is um, can also be a machine uh, by a popular definition. The definition I will use here is very close to the academic definition. So everything from a ball pan to a control room from a light switch to a vehicle cockpit, all technologies, technology of all types and, and of all levels of complexity is a machine. And it always has a purpose. So it's that move from A to B. So I am in London and I want to go to Paris. So I can use a machine, which could be a train or a car or maybe an airplane. Um, that could be is a technological construct, a technological artifact that we can use um, to travel, for example. Or I have the task to drive, uh, to 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 write the next version of my <clears throat> excuse me, the next version of my podcast. So I take a piece of paper and I take a ball pen and write down a couple of words make me a couple of bullet points um, that, that I have as, as a script to record the next podcast here. So that is also a machine by this definition. A little excursus here. The reason why this podcast is not called the Human Machine Podcast, but the Human Technology Podcast. The reason is that I want to reach very broad groups of people. Um, I want to have very broad listener groups. And my idea was that if I call it the Human Machine Podcast, people outside the HMI community, outside the usability, user experience community, may believe, all right, he's talking about machine tools or robots or steam engines or... but they will not take the machines I am talking about most of the time, like, like digital machines, like computers, like smartphones, like touchscreen devices, like cars, like in-vehicle systems. They are, by many people, not seen as machines in uh, the popular definition. And um, technology is far broader um, so I made the decision. I mean, I had already started to to uh, name it the Human Machine Podcasts. I had my logos done and the the cover the cover art um, that uh, I'm using that was all done with the Human Machine Podcast. And then uh, one one day I thought, no, this uh, may exclude people that may be interested in what I have to say, and um, they they read the name, interpret it the wrong way. And um, so I took the broader term human technology podcast. 
this just as a little excursus here, a little footnote, why I have selected the name Human Technology Podcast. And since I was talking about machines anyway, so I took the chance to explain that. Industrialization went through several phases. In general, four of them are differentiated and they are often named revolutions. These days, these years, um, the fourth industrial revolution is starting. The whole is called the industrial internet. Uh, which is uh, which names which points at one of the uh, special features of the fourth industrial revolution that is connectivity that is networking connectivity of machines with other machines with other instances further away but also the um, networking between humans and machines the entire role is changing at the moment dramatically and I will talk about this one at the end of the podcast when I talk about the, the fourth industrial revolution. But now, let's start in the beginning. So, the first industrial revolution that started in uh, England in the late 18th century, in the rest of Europe and most parts of the US. As, uh, it was more the early 19th century that it started. It was a turning point in human history, one we still see, feel, recognize, maybe we suffer, maybe we enjoy it, but uh, it is still very, very relevant for our today's world. It was the transition from a largely, largely agricultural society to an industrial society or from an agricultural economy to an industrial economy. So there had been products before, but um, they were built in uh, manufacturing places, meaning uh, small places, workshops, local little workshops. They were building instruments and tools and technology at that time. And um, so over the time, the, the switch from the agricultural to the industrial economy also led to a lowering of the number of small workshops uh, building, building product. One core factor for this was the invention of the steam engine. That is closely associated uh, with the name James Watt. So um, the, the uh, unit watt is still used for power today. So it's James Watt. Um, he was not the original inventor of it, but he industrialized it. He lifted it to a level, the steam engine, to a level where it uh, became universally applicable, where it was possible to use it in different contexts like industry like mobility like in, in ships or in, in trains so um, James Watt's inventions created the availability of power independent of humans or animals 
in agricultural society you can still see humans or animals uh, pulling plows working on the fields delivering the energy to various various processes and the invention of the steam engine with all the improvement james watt uh, engineered that led to the independence of power of humans and animals Another point connected to that was the invention of the loom and the invention of the railroads, of the trains. Both were powered, at least in parts, or widely by steam engines. So that was an application of it. Uh, but uh, there were also many innovations in the looms to, to uh, create fabrics of all kinds. But also uh, in, the, in the railroad, other, other inventions were required to, to get it going. England was favored by a number of factors. One is uh, it is an island. They had and they still have many ports. And ships were at that time the most efficient and more or less the only means of transportation over long distances. So if you wanted to transport goods or persons over large distances, uh, the ship was the number one means of transport, the number one uh, transport vehicle. And uh, being an island with many parts uh, supported that. England had, uh, which is also probably connected to, to the high number of parts and ships, They had colonies which were supplying raw materials as ore, as coals, cotton. So they had access to this uh, over large distances and they could import it into, into England and um, yeah, steer the, uh, ignite the Industrial Revolution. England has a comparably flat landscape which eases the construction of traffic routes, of roads, of rails. So once you have all these ores, coals and cottons uh, transported by ship into the ports, it was comparably easy to distribute it within the country because they had this uh, flat landscape. The population grew. Um, they had a more efficient agriculture in the late uh, 19th, uh, 18th century. And uh, so there was a high efficiency there. And they had more calories to feed more people. Um, they had uh, more people surviving early childhood. So that there was a larger workforce. There were more people available to work. And they also had the initial hygiene measures at that time, washing hands and yeah, doing the very basic stuff, uh, which is totally usual to us uh, today, totally normal. But um, that was new at that time. And it also led to the fact that uh, uh, more babies survived, that uh, you survived illness, sickness, injuries uh, better. And so more people were available, so they had a bigger workforce. Other points why England was favored uh, in the, the late 18th, early, early 19th century is uh, they had a comparably liberal politics. 
they had an early version of what we see, what we recognize, what we live as democracy today. So they had um, yeah, a parliament and, and um, they had uh, less restrictions. They had a comparably long peace period. Peace period. Um, that also was favoring them because they didn't have to invest too much into military, into arms and weapons. So this peace period allowed them to focus more on industry. And uh, they had the Calvinist thinking. And uh, that was the idea that uh, success, that professional success, that wealth are signs of God's favor. And that led to a certain business ethics and that favored entrepreneurship, meaning that uh, it was a normal thing to start a business, to have success was a good thing, uh, it was a sign that I am a favorite of God, and uh, so people were striving for that. And this combination then led to the establishment of new businesses and new companies. The HMIs, the human machine interfaces of uh, the first industrial revolution were extremely weak. The machine totally dictated the relationship between human and machine. It was purely many mechanical. It was yeah, all mechanics and it was a quite rustic implementation of these mechanics. There was a wheel, there was a switch, there was whatever, a lever. And um, then you had to push, to press, to pull, to rotate it. And something was happening right there where you, where you did it. So the human was like a slave to the machine. The relationship between human and machine was driven by the technically possible and uh, yeah, the machine was constructed on one way, what is possible, and, and then um, the, the human with his uh, high flexibility, mentally, mental flexibility and, and physical flexibility, had to adapt to the machine. And so the early Industrial Revolution had a high price uh, in, in uh, losing health and life. I mean, there was a high risk to be injured or killed during the interaction with the machine. So we have this human is the slave, machine is driven by its limited uh, technological capabilities. And um, so we have this relationship. Nonetheless, the start of modernization and industrialization in the turn from the 18th to the, to the 19th century, has changed uh, the entire world, our entire lives. And uh, it was the start of the hockey stick that we see in, in technological development. So there had been this, this mechanical development over quite some time, and then we had the first industrial revolution, and then the entire technological developments, the ubiquity of uh, technology started, 
And from my point of view, we are still in the beginning of the hockey stick. So we are not really in the steep growth that we have. I mean, we are turning around to that in the last, uh, let's say, 20, 30 years. So we, we are in exciting times. But um, they started uh, in the late 18th century in England with the first Industrial Revolution. Let's move on to the second Industrial Revolution, or Industry 2.0, as some call it. That begins in the late 19th century. And it is the beginning of the electrification, the introduction of mass production, and the introduction of assembly lines. So this is the differentiator between the first and the second industrial revolution. Or industrial revolution. Electrification, mass production, and assembly lines. The electrification, meaning the introduction of electric power lines or the production of electric power, the distribution through power lines, and the realization of uh, the power in electric engines led to the availability of energy locally, right at the machines. And this was a, was a big game changer. So electric machines were far smaller, far less dangerous, uh, less noisy than the old steam engines. And you were able to, to locate, to place electrical engines right beside the machine. The old steam engines still had one big central engine and then uh, the power, the torque or whatever you needed was transported through wheels, through gears um, to the machine. And sometimes you had these belt systems. Yeah? You had one rotating uh, um, line at the, at the, under the roof of, of a factory that was driven by the steam engine and then you had a belt down to the machine driving the, the machine. And that was replaced by the electrification, by smaller, cleaner, uh, and less noisy engines. Another thing that happened um, during the early phases of uh, the Second Industrial Revolution was the division of labor, the analysis of what are people doing that is closely connected uh, with the name Taylor, James Taylor. I'll get back to him in a, in a minute. But it led to, to specialization, to, to focus of people. And uh, the role model for this, by the way, were the slaughterhouses in Chicago, where all the beef of the Midwest uh, was turned into meat products. And they had a very strict division of labor. So there were people uh, doing exactly this one thing with the animal and then it moved on, hanging on chains to the second station where they did something different. And then at the very end, um, they had this, um, I don't know, sausages and steaks and, and whatever was, was made out of the, out of the cattle um, that was slaughtered in, in Chicago. So that was a very 
early example of a very high division of, of labor. The US, the second industrial revolution of the USA, was more shaped by this division of labor, by the Taylorism. As I said, as a guy called James Taylor, um, that in the mid of the 19th century started to analyze work. Having a look at, at people working and found out, okay, there are people that are good in lifting goods and others are good in turning them around. And so he divided labor into small slices and uh, assigned these small slices, uh, slices to, to certain persons. So we said, okay, Mr. A is doing exactly this, just one thing, and Mr. B is doing something totally different, and Mrs. C is then doing, again, something totally different. And that was new at that time, so during the first uh, Industrial Revolution, there was still one person doing larger amounts of work and not just single parts, single slices of the entire process. Opposed to the US in uh, Europe, and particularly in Germany, the second uh, industrial revolution was more driven by industries and product. First of all, chemistry and electrical engineering. So the name uh, Siemens, uh, most of you will know the company Siemens today, Uh, but that was a guy um, that introduced uh, electrical engineering, um, that constructed various electrical products and then started his business. That uh, was, was happening in Germany and that was steering the or igniting the second industrial revolution in, in Germany. A typical US example is Henry Ford who introduced the mass market automobiles. So until uh, before Henry Ford, until the early 20th century, or even the first 10 or 20 years of the uh, 20th century, the cars were very exclusive, very expensive products, only for a very, very small group of, of potential users, potential drivers. And they were hard to handle, um, they were hard to, to assemble, they were hard to, to construct. And um, so, yeah, that, that was something for the very high class people, adventurous people. They had a car and, and, and they were totally unique with that. And so it was not a mass market product. And Henry Ford introduced the assembly lines into the automotive production. He had the, uh, the the division of work. So there were people working on only very small slices of the production and with other um, uh, optimizations, let's put it that way, uh, he reduced the price of the car. So one example is um, there were only black Ford Model Ts, which was the first car he put out. And um, yeah, he was saying you can have any color as long as it's black. Because then he did not need to handle various paints in, 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 in the production lines. So he optimized the entire thing. And that was a typical, um, a typical event of the second industrial revolution. Another change that happened in that time was the introduction of the telephone. 
the let's say wired data transfer um like faxing or that that was had been introduced before but uh, the communication uh between different locations that may be far apart from each other by voice that was new and that was part of the second industrial revolution because suddenly it was possible to talk to people far away and right away and fast and said okay i want to have this question answered you ask the question and then the person on the other side of the line was able to answer right away within a very very short time frame far faster than any letter or anything else at that time could have done it humans were still slaves of machines and sometimes an even worse way than during the first uh, industrial revolution they had these super small segments of work these slices of the process they were working on they had very very high repetition rates so they made just one move with their hand hundreds of times per day and all days of the week and over months and years and just doing this one thing they had a super high monotony based on that and uh, fritz lang's movie metropolis and even more charlie chaplin's movie modern times analyzed exactly that talked exactly about that the um yeah this this fact that people were totally destructed uh, destroyed by the monotony they had the higher repetition rates they had by these super small work segments that they that they were working on the concrete interaction between human machine was still largely determined by the mechanical conditions by the technology itself and the limitation the technology experienced human characteristics uh, like uh, mental abilities played clearly a minor role the analysis of work was very much focused on physical aspects so how much can he lift how far can she reach all the cognitive the mental the psychological properties of humans the abilities we as humans had have were more or less completely disregarded at least little footnote again um the cognitive mental and psychological abilities came into focus uh, in the second world war where scientists found out that a decline in vigilance for example among radar observers so you have this as radar signal and you're watching that and uh Uh, only very small differences are between there is an uh, uh maybe fatal object there's an enemy somewhere or there's everything is clear so the the difference between the signals of good and bad uh were very very small and this is something you can you can observe in any context if you force people into watching something that is not changing too much that is not adapting too much that is yeah very monotonous um, they will lose the vigilance and they will 
not keep up their attention on, on the initial level. And this happens pretty quickly, like 15, 20 minutes after the, after the starts. And that was the first time when mental abilities, strengths and weaknesses were analyzed in more detail and also were used to design machines. This is the end of the first episode on the four industrial revolutions we had. And uh, next week, uh, revolution number three and revolution number four. Stay tuned. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites beta-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de Write me an email under podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.